0: Today on the show, we're talking about relationship compatibility when it comes to money. Welcome to the Simple Money Solutions Podcast, where we focus on your money from a Canadian perspective. This podcast is produced weekly and released every Monday. Show notes for every episode can be found at livelifesimple.ca. Now let's get on with the show. Hey everyone, I'm your host Courtney and joined with me today is my co-host Trevor. As mentioned in the introduction, today we're talking about the issues of financial compatibility with your potential partner or your actual partner. So today's topic is one that will hopefully capture the attention of most our listeners out there. Maybe you just started dating someone and they're amazing, but you're not sure if their financial goals are in line with your own. Or maybe you just got out of a relationship where you and your previous partner weren't financially compatible. And you're wondering, where did I go wrong and how can I avoid getting myself into that situation in the future? Or maybe you're not even dating anyone at the moment, but you want to make sure that when you do meet that special someone, you are completely aware of any financial red flags to look out for. Or maybe you're not even on the prowl for a relationship and and instead are focusing on fostering financially compatible relationships in your life and ridding yourself of financially toxic relationships which we covered in episode 9 called Toxic Relationships. So if you do have any questions about that, head back to episode 9. Or even if you're married, in which case it's never too late to get your financial priorities in line with your spouse. While this episode is more catered to romantic relationships, hopefully it provides you the insight into financial compatibility. So if you've ever sat there and asked yourself just how important financial compatibility is, you've arrived at the right place. So, Trevor, before we get into today's articles, what's your what's your how do you what's your take on this? Well,
1: I think this is a really uh, a really important topic, and oddly enough, Valentine's Day is approaching, so it's probably timing is probably pretty good too. Um, I have the good fortune of being uh, perfectly aligned with my wife in terms of financial goals and financial objectives, but I know a lot of people who are in relationships uh, that are they're not aligned. And it's a it's a day to day struggle. So it's, I think it's it's paramount to, to be uh, t- to make sure you're you're with somebody who has the same financial goals you do.
0: I completely agree, and you are right. This is perfect timing for Valentine's Day. So to lead this off, today's articles were inspired by Rob Carrick's article in the Globe and Mail entitled "The Man She Loves Is a Financial Trainwreck." To introduce her articles, I'll just go over what Carrick has said about this. So in his own words, she's a saver, he's a spender. Okay, he's a financial disaster. Can they make it work after moving in together? Welcome to dating and relationships in 2017. When looking at compatibility, money plays a huge part. Dr. Marina Ashed. An economics professor at the University of British Columbia and author says people bring all kinds of things to the table in a relationship. It might be attractiveness and it might be money, but money can complicate everyday life when people with conflicting attitudes about finance partner up. A guide to money etiquette when dating, which is one of the articles we'll be going over, addresses matters like who should pay the tab at a bar or a restaurant. Is the dinner date still a thing? According to this article, which we'll be reading for you as well, young adults today lack the money and time and desire to get to know someone over dinner. If you get past that first date over drinks or coffee, here's a guide to having conversations about money at various relationship stages, which is the third article that we'll be going over today as well. So to leave this all off, we're going to be reading an article by Hannah Hickok called Your 2016 Guide to Money Etiquette When You're Dating, which of course is still relevant to 2017. In Hannah Hickok's words, few topics in life get awkward faster than money. People can be famously neurotic about money, whether they have a ton of it or just trying to save more. And on a first date, already a delicate, nerve-wracking situation, Trying to figure out who should pay for what and when and how much can be confusing and stressful. When it comes to money etiquette and dating era now, says couple therapist and relationship expert Tara Fields, PhD and author of The Love Fix, there really aren't any hard and fast rules. And that's what can make things so difficult to navigate. Everyone has different values around money and how to spend it, how to save it and what role it plays. The most important thing is to gauge whether your values are similar because they can help you figure out whether this is someone you should keep seeing, she says. It's about compatibility, she says. Money is important in relationships right from the get-go. It's really symbolic of emotions and an area that can have tremendous meaning. Below Fields explains some of her top tips for navigating the awkward topic of money when you're dating. Number one is know what your own money values are. My friend Jamie, age 29, always expects her dates, no matter how they met or who asked whom out, to pick up the tab. She's financially well off in her own right with a successful career and busy social life. But for her, how someone takes care of her on a date represents how well that person will or won't take care of her in all areas of life. She wants a provider, so she's looking for someone who likes to provide for others, and there are plenty of people like that. Even in this day and age, there are plenty of men and women who take pride in being the breadwinner and wanting partners to be in a more traditional role, says Fields. It's about generosity of spirit, and money is just a symbol of that. Often paying for others is a gesture of love and care, a way to show someone that you don't mind investing in them, even if you're just getting to know them. If, on the other hand, you ardently believe in splitting the check for one reason or another because it's easier, cleaner, fairer, or whatever, that's okay too. Explaining that you prefer to split the check to your date and seeing if it goes over with him or her is fine. If he or she insists on picking up the tab, then say you'd like to get the next one. Number two is it never hurts to offer. I know several single women who don't have strong rules or beliefs about who should pay for whom on dates. But when someone doesn't offer to pay buy the first drink, they can't help but raise an eyebrow about what that says about him or her. Whether you're the asker or the askee. You can't go wrong by offering to get the check or at least split it. It's always nice to offer and make that gesture, says Fields. Be sensitive to different financial situations and try to pick up on cues based on someone's jobs and living situations. But if you can't afford to take someone to dinner or they can't afford to take you, you could cook a beautiful meal or head to your favorite barbecue place. It's important not to feel like you have to match the person dollar for dollar. But be generous in whatever way you can, so you feel like you're both contributing. Number three is take turns. My favorite way to resolve the question of who should pay is to alternate, assuming you're going out on more than one date. On our first date, my boyfriend did pay, although I'd also forgotten to hit the bank before arriving at a cash-only bar. So it kind of took that option off the table. But after that, we took turns and didn't add up every tab in our heads. As we see it, it all evens out in the end. It's a little more romantic to let one person treat the other rather than splitting it between two cards every time. Plus, in early relationships, it can be a sign to show you really like someone and expect to have plenty of opportunities to pay each other back. There'll be plenty of time for the other person to reciprocate this fields. It's also a way to get to know someone. If you've been dating for months or he or she never treats you or makes you dinner then ask yourself if you're okay with that because it says something about them emotionally. Number four is don't be afraid to talk about it. Whether it's telling your date that you're more comfortable splitting the check or explaining to someone you've been seeing for several months that you're on a tight budget, it's smart to communicate about money, awkward as it might feel. People will be honest about their age before they'll tell you how much they make Says field's. You don't have to outright ask how much they make, but before you make any kind of serious commitment, you have to have the money talk. Discuss each of your budgets and at least make sure you have a ballpark sense of what the other person makes and what their financial situation is in terms of savings and debt. It might be unromantic, but it's realistic, says Fields, especially given that money is one of the top two reasons why couples break up. Number five is don't overlook someone's attitude about money. At the end of the day, it's wise to pay attention to what someone is showing you about their character, especially when it comes to money. Often people who are cheap financially end up being cheap emotionally, says Fields. On the other hand, if they always insist on picking up the tab and never let you pay, are they being sweet and generous or is it something they saw one of their parents do in a dysfunctional way? Is it their way of being in control of the situation or worse, you? You want someone whose money habits fall in a happy healthy middle ground this is all an opportunity to understand each other more or better so you can see where the other person is coming from and find that sweet spot so that was your 2016 guide to money etiquette when you're dating by hannah hickok and it was from stylecaster.com we'll have that in the show notes so you can refer back as well so trevor let's let's dissect this article let me know what you overall thought about this article
1: well, I thought it was a really good article not just for people dating I think it's a great article for some anybody in an, in an existing relationship and if money's an issue this will help you dial into just what aspect of of money because money's kind of a broad thing when if you're having money problems it's it's not just in general There's this, it's a specific issue as it relates to money
0: and do you agree that with uh, the one line one of Hickok's lines there aren't really any hard fast rules do you believe that
1: well, it, it comes back to people's uh, attitude toward money. I mean, if, if both people are free spenders and they enjoy uh, high-end entertainment, so long they're both uh, the same, then, then, then that's great. You just need to be on the same page. So uh, that's why I, I, I agree with that wholeheartedly.
0: So it's okay to spend a lot together if you're both okay with that? Well,
1: if you're both big spenders and not savers and you don't have a lot of financial goals, so long you both have that same view, you're probably going to be very happy together.
0: Do you think a relationship could work though? If I mean, that's the whole point of this, this topic, this episode is, so I'll just ask it right off the bat, is if you do have one person who is a saver and one is a spender, does that relationship even work?
1: Well, it can work because a lot of times... So long you're open-minded, both, both people in the relationship, uh, a lot of times you'll, you'll balance each other out and one will compensate for the other. It's like you, you often see an extrovert and an introvert together in a relationship and, and they, they seem quite happy. So they again, they're probably both very open-minded and they balance each other out, but the key is the open-mindedness.
0: You talk about introvert and extrovert, which we all know are two very essential pieces of a people and a relationship. Would you say money is as equivalent as, as, as that?
1: Well, I, I think they, they could be actually be somewhat connected. I think, uh, you know, big spenders are more likely to be extroverts. I'm not saying they all are, but they are more likely to be. And introverts are, are more likely to be s- typical savers, just their nature.
0: And but do you believe with the sentiment too that money, as Hickok says, money is important in a relationship right from the get-go? When when she says get-go, how how soon should you start considering about money within in a relationship?
1: Well, money can intertwine itself into a relationship so deep that that I think it needs to be uh, right up there with uh, infidelity substance abuse and money. I mean, I put them all, they're all deal breakers in a lot of relationships. So I think if you think of infidelity and substance abuse, the impact that could have on somebody's life, I think money has the equal and and is is an important impact on a relationship.
0: This article talks about going on dates, maybe your first date, if you send something right off the bat, should that be something that should send you flying or should you give that person a chance to really understand deeply what their values of money are? How important is this of a deal breaker?
1: Well, there's one artic- one uh, point in the article where it talked about uh, don't overlook someone's attitude toward money. And you can quickly uh, learn, you can learn a lot about somebody in a hurry if you really look at their attitude toward money. Are they careless? It might speak about other aspects of the life where they're going to be careless. And a lot. one thing that caught my attention in there is if somebody's always wanting to pay just in the relationship, somebody insists on paying every time they go out for dinner, they go out to a show or whatever, that could be a not a sign of generosity, but maybe a sign of control. You know, that person needs to have control all the time. And that could be a dangerous thing in a relationship.
0: And they did talk about that in here. She she did say that um, that's something you have to look out for. So hearing all of that, Trevor, I'd almost say that money is almost, it, because it's so important, because it's so valued by society and individuals, it almost speaks to their character deeply. It's synonymous with all their other traits, like how much, how, how controlling they are, maybe how how free-spirited they are.
1: Well, you know, we use the word control. It, it could be somebody's trying to demonstrate their their ability to pr- provide so you know i, I gave you a negative uh, view of it but somebody always wanted to pay could be wanting to demonstrate their their ability and their desire to provide or they are genuinely w- wanting to give and and, and accommodate people so y- you you can't just you need to couple that with another factor that you've you've learned about that person So it can't be just, uh, you know, are they always pulling out their wallet, uh, you know, coupled with some other aspect of their life that kind of links the two.
0: I was going to ask this question when we were talking about our third article, but it's really relevant right now. So I'm just going to ask it. It is, we all have that innate desire in us to, or maybe some of us do, to save other people from something. So, I mean, hopefully all our listeners out there are listening to this podcast because they have an interest in personal finance as like you and I. So if they go out on a date with someone and they are personal finance savvy and they see someone who's not, what compels or how how sh- should you stick with that person if they compel you to want to help them or change them? And is that possible?
1: So when you say um, you they want you to help them, they mean that a person is reaching out for help on personal finance?
0: No, no, no. They maybe spend differently or they spend more than you or, you, or they're less careless with their money and you, and you, you think see a desire kn- to save them.
1: Yeah, you, when it comes to money, you you it typically doesn't pay or benefit you to offer advice that isn't solicited. That's been my experience. So you may see somebody who needs to be saved, but if they don't want to be saved and it relates to money, you're going to, to a very dark place. And I... I highly recommend against that.
0: Because I feel like that is something so common. You see someone in trouble and you feel like you have the tools and desire and passion to get them on the right track. But like we've said on this uh, this show before, behavioral changes are hard and they're and they're not something that's going to happen overnight, especially if this person has had the same views about money their whole life, right?
1: Well, let me give you, go back to the, another example. Just if you've seen somebody who is vastly overweight, eating an ice cream in a restaurant, and you knew them, would you go up and say, hey, you really shouldn't be eating that, you know, you with the intentions of helping them? How do you think that would go over? I think if you've seen somebody spending money, and you know, they couldn't afford it, it would have the same impact, uh, very negative.
0: That's a fantastic example. And you, and you are right. It's very, it is equivalent to this example. Um, moving down to the article, I do want to note something which we, we in the show, we like to go against the mainstream and really poke holes at what what the status quo is. So I really like that that they brought up the idea that if you can't afford to go out and make something at home. So I just really want to note how society society in general is it, it revolves around spending money and eating, and it's just, goes hand in hand in that in order to have a good time you spend money so it's again making something at home or or a non-traditional date where maybe you don't spend money is a type of frugality and and I my question to you Trevor is why does money why does dating always involve spending money well a lot of people
1: are again I went back to something I said earlier a lot of times somebody may be trying to demonstrate their ability to to provide to be a provider and by by you know, you don't want to just say, hey, I make uh, a six-figure income. Uh, I'm, I'm uh, spouse-worthy. Th- that, that would not go over well. It would sound arrogant or, or bragging. So the best way, the, another way to do it is by, by demonstrating, you know, my ability to spend money, drive a fancy car, take you to fancy places. But I, I want just on the topic of going out on a date and, and, and it costing money, if you're dating somebody and say it's a new relationship, if you went out for dinner every time you're with that person, going out for dinner all of a sudden doesn't become special. So, I think you need to sometimes, if you do something less frequent, it becomes uh, more. It, bec- it becomes more special, and 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 the experience is just enhanced because you don't do it as often. Whereas if you go out for dinner two or three times a week, going out for dinner becomes just another thing. And to make it special, you need to go to a very upscale restaurant and spend even more money. So it, it, it's just a, a snowball that keeps rolling down the hill, getting bigger and bigger.
0: Oh, exactly. And your standards keep getting higher and higher. It's like, it's like that you always want more and more.
1: You know, there's an, another uh, part of the circle that says don't be afraid to talk about it, meaning talk about money. And I think money, you know, when they say don't be afraid to talk about it, it it's – I'll give you an example is – there was this couple we used to go out for dinner with all the time, and they always wanted to split the bill. And me and my wife, were vegetarians, and the couple we went out with, they weren't, and they'd be ordering, you know, a, a steak dinner, and they'd order, we're not heavy drinkers, but these guys would be ordering bottles and bottles of wine, and at the end of the meal, you want to split the bill, and they would always quickly jump in and say yes. And why wouldn't they? they they've spent twice as much money as we did, and not, not wanting to look cheap you know, what What could I say? So what we would started doing, uh, we caught on to this thing. And we said, as soon as they took our order, we said separate bills. And once you say that once, it's it's very awkward that first time you say it, separate bills. It was this with this couple. There was just this awkward silence at the table probably for, I don't know, five minutes, which seemed like an eternity before someone said something. You know, this is after they took our order. And after that, It was easy to see separate bills it was just it was almost automatic and they they were not offended by it as it turned out you know with it and we we actually it enhanced our relationship with that couple because we we you know went through that awkward moment
0: because that that is something that's a great example Trevor but that's something that's so it it is awkward people don't like talking about money and I feel like maybe that's where all the problems, or not all of them, but a lot of the problems come from is people's, they avoid it. They avoid it like the plague. And that's where troubles create. Because if you don't establish what you value and what's important to you, how's that other person supposed to know? And that's, I guess, where all the difficulties come from. Well, it
1: helps to surround yourself with like-minded people. Because this article used the word cheap, and it also used the word frugal. And one of those words is very negative, and one of those words is very positive. So... If you're with people who are big spenders and you're frugal, well, in their eyes, you're actually cheap. So spending time with them, it, it just creates a negative atmosphere and, and your goals are not aligned. And this is, I, I'm not saying this is not a, a dating relationship. This is with anybody. You, you just need to be around like-minded people who have similar goals and, and life's just easier that way.
0: Oh, I agree. This is just a general question, but has talking about personal finances with other people, maybe a romantic partner, has it changed over the years? Are we getting more comfortable at it because society getting more open to talking about these things in in your perception? Well, one with if one
1: way to look at it with a ro- romantic partner, if you if you're willing to talk to that person about money and personal finances, it, it says to that person that you want to take this relationship to the next level and it 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 also speaks about how you feel about them you you want to get closer to that person by talking about money so in any, in a way it it could enhance and take a relationship further just by breaching the subject
0: it 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 is it's a level of intimacy that really can be often overlooked it really brings two people closer
1: like when i hear couples if i'm at a store or a restaurant in i mean i'm not eavesdropping but if i hear a couple at another table talking and uh you know, they. I just recall I was at a restaurant just a few days ago and there was a young couple beside us and they were talking about um, coming up with rent money to pay their rent. And I don't know, they might have been in their 20s or something. And, and I, I just knew that they were in a long-term relationship just by the fact they were talking about money and personal finances and their ability to afford things. And I, I, I really think it, it, it means something when you're willing to divulge that personal information to somebody else.
0: No, I definitely agree because that's definitely the defining factor between if you know everything about someone, that's that's a big piece of It's how they view money, their tendencies with money, uh, what, how they see it. Like It's it's important. So Trevor, we're going to move on to the second article. Do you have any final thoughts for this one?
1: Um, I, We're going to leave it in the show notes. And I, I think uh, it's worth a read, especially to people who are in new relationships. I think it was a really well-written article.
0: And I do want to close saying that I mean, new relationships are very intimidating, maybe may a little anx- nerve-wracking or anxious. And I think we all may feel like we're thinking about this alone, but really this, this issue about who to pay or, or, or when to talk about money, it's something that plagues the entire nation. So it's definitely something that you're not alone. And that person is probably feeling the exact same way as you. So you're not alone in feeling awkward about this because I think everyone does. So moving on to our second article, it is called How to Have an Awkward Money Conversation with Your Partner from Marie Claire. Marie Claire is a woman's magazine, but this article is very, I think, applicable to this episode in general and is not just um, female specific. So um, in this article's words, in a world where we're open to talking about pretty much anything, there's only really one topic left that we don't like talking about, money. Discussing money is awkward, embarrassing, and can be pretty tacky. But the truth is, we can't go through your whole adult life without ever discussing the M-word with your partner. And if you're going to do it, you might as well do it right. So whether you're dating, moving in together, buying a house, or getting married, we've got all the awkward money chats you'll ever have with a partner covered. Carl Reeder from D&T Chartered Accountants explains that money problems within a relationship are often caused by different expectations. Often disputes over money between individuals are due to what we call an expectation gap, says Carl. Simply put, neither side knows what the other side is expecting. In the business world, these are avoided by having clear contracts. While you wouldn't necessarily have a solicitor prepare an agreement for a small family loan, it is important that you both set out the terms for any major loan or home buying decisions. So in the dating phase who pays for what when you're dating is probably the first awkward conversation you're going to have. If you're both at similar levels in your career and earning around the same, then it's quite straightforward. It's more complicated if there's a wealth imbalance. In the case that one of you had a whole lot more cash to splash, it's fair not fair to assume you'll split the bill in fancy restaurants or that you'll pick up the tab on a taxi. Being honest about feeling a little strapped and not wanting to go for a lavish cocktail in spa day is a good start on all of the honest conversations you'll have to keep if you keep seeing each other long-term. In this case, the old etiquette rule about the person who issues the invitation picking up the on the bill can be a good one. If the person you're dating wants to go for a 15-course tasting menu with paired wines, then that's great. But it doesn't mean you can't take them to Nano's when it's your turn to pick up the bill. Moving in together. When you first move in together, it's time to have an open and honest chat about how much you both earn any major outgoings and how you want to pay for things. That conversation isn't a fun one and you'll probably want a big glass of wine first, but if you're ready to let your other half see with food poisoning or a flu, you should probably be ready to disclose your salary and your debt levels, however vulnerable it might make you feel. The two typical options when you're cohabiting are either to split everything down the middle, again, easy if you're earning about the same, or to pay proportionally. If one of you out-earns the other, then paying a relative proportion of your prospective salaries can offset that. It means that you're both giving up the same amount of your money to rent, so it can end up feeling a lot fair. The third stage is buying a house. When you buy a house, you're hoping that the biggest fight you have about someone will be leaving wet towels on the bathroom floor. But however unromantic it feels, you have to go in with your eyes open. Moving in together is a huge commitment, whether you're buying or renting, but buying a house makes it even more complicated. It's important that by the time you start trying to get a mortgage, you made full disclosure to each other about your financial situation. Before getting a mortgage as it's pretty, it's a pretty invasive procedure and you're not going to be able to hide any debt. As we all know, it's better to tell your partner something than let them find out. Carl Reader of DNT Accountants suggests that earlier is better than later. while you might not feel inclined to spend any more on legal advice than you need to, it could be worth speaking to your solicitors if you're considering cohabiting with someone. I would suggest that this is vital if you're contributing different amounts to the purchase or if one of you is taking the burden of the mortgage. This will help you create a reasonable expectation of what will happen in the event of a sale. The next step we have in this article is getting married. Perhaps the biggest arguments over money come from divorce and separation. While there is no legal obligation to have a prenup, being prepared and having a broad agreement about how money would be divided in the case of a split is an important choice for both sides. And it may help reduce lawyers' fees. Again, this is commonplace in the business world and business owners would have shareholder agreements or partnership agreements which set out what happens and how it happens should they drift apart. A prenup is the domestic equivalent when it comes to personal finances. And much like the business agreements, we all hope they will never be used once prepared. No one wants to have a chat about breaking up when you're enjoying a relationship milestone. But the sad truth is that sometimes it doesn't work out and it's indefinitely easier to have the conversation about how that will work when the relationship is still going well. As Carl says, it might sound like something that can be put off until tomorrow, but it is vital to get a y well prepared, particularly if you're buying a property or making an investment. There are kits available to help you do this yourself. However, my strongest advice is to get a professional to do the job. I've had to work with individuals who didn't do this, and the lack of clarity in some wills will cause major he- family headaches for the survivors. Talking through the realities of your financial situation is an important part of being a couple in the first place. If you can have a calm, mature discussion about money, debt, and how you would handle finances if you broke up, then that's a powerful indicator of your relationship. So that article was called How to Have an Awkward Money Conversation with Your Partner and it was featured in Marie Claire, the magazine. So Trevor, I, I have a couple critiques of this article, but what was your overall perception of it?
1: Well, I, I really like how this article sort of breaks it down with, you know, the evolution of a relationship. You got dating, moving in together, uh, buying a house, getting married. I don't know if I agree with the chronological order, but I, I love how that, um she breaks it down into those categories. I really think it adds context to to the article.
0: I'd have to say, if I was going to critique this article, I would say that having an open, honest chat about finances should come way before moving in together.
1: Oh, yeah, that's I mean, you want to know somebody's uh, position on, on on personal finances uh, at a great level of detail long before that. because when you move in together, I think, I don't know how the law is stated, but at some point you, you become married in the eyes of the law is a common law relationship. And to split up, there's a there could be a financial consequence to, to a breakup.
0: And even in buying a house, the buying the house section, it talks about how you should, it reinforces again, that you should have made full disclosure about your financial situation because the invasive procedure of getting a mortgage will draw, draw out anything you haven't said. And that kind of sets out off the alarms in my head because you shouldn't feel like you should have to hide anything.
1: Well, I have a, an issue with buying a house before getting married. And I know a lot of people do it, but uh, I'm saying if you're making a 25-year commitment with somebody, that's I'm going to say you're going to buy a house with a 25-year mortgage, you're obviously planning to be with this person for, I'll call it an indefinite period of time. Why not get married? Why not be married? Why not make that commitment first and then buy a house? It's almost like your commitment is based on the the house itself rather than the relationship.
0: And maybe that goes along the lines of if you get a pet or if you have a child or if you have a house, they feel like stable, stable commitments. But it's just like having a getting a pet or having a child or again, having a house feels like major stable commitments that will keep the relationship together but at the end of the day marriage is a good good even better commitment of than those things well
1: you know the weddings are not cheap and if you buy a house and you buy you know all the house you can afford your likelihood of having a wedding uh, a debt-free wedding is highly unlikely so just another reason to to get married first would be your likelihood of having the the wedding of your dreams is, is diminished because you're probably, you could be potentially house poor.
0: And this article really does follow the stereotypical route that someone would take, as in buy a house. But again, buy a house could be replaced with rent an apartment, rent a condo, and then get married. So I really think buying a house should not maybe be that second step or third step, sorry.
1: You know, and in this article, they talk about prenups, and they're really designed primarily around money and and, and how, how financial assets would be divvied up or split. I, I have a problem with prenups. I think there's a place for them. And if you're in a, a second or third marriage, so you have a history of needing an escape clause, and you have, uh, you know, children from other marriages who who are dependents and who may benefit from your uh, in, in a will from your assets, I, I think it really gets complicated, and the waters get muddied, and a prenup, it serves a purpose, and I think that's a great spot. But for uh, your first, and hopefully your only marriage, to go into that with a prenup, it's almost like you have a safety net, an escape clause, and you're going into it with, well, if this doesn't work out, here's how we're going to end it. And I think that's a horrible way to start a relationship. So, I'm a fan of prenups. They they serve a purpose in certain circumstances, but it's your if it's your first relationship, I think you, it it just sets you up for for failure.
0: Oh, definitely, because you're you're already putting that thought in your head that oh, what if this doesn't work out? Which yeah. you should never go into anything thinking. I really like um, this this quote in the second paragraph. Often, disputes over money between individuals are due to what we call an expectation gap. Neither side knows what the other side is expecting, and I think this really sums up the money issue really well.
1: Well, you know, I agree with that. And you know, the, the part of the article is about moving in together, and that you'll, by living with somebody day in and day out, money issues are going to get exposed and sorted out or not sorted out. So the expectation will be uncovered and resolved or not resolved through the act of moving in together. So I'm not saying uh, that's the only way to do it. Uh, A long-term dating could also solve that. You know, a a very long-term dating relationship, uh, you know, something in excess of a year where you'd go through a whole cycle of life, uh, you know, you would go through the the winter uh, blahs where you feel like you need to get away on a vacation. Uh, summer where you're, you know, you're out doing a lot of things, spending a lot of money. Christmas where you buy a lot of gifts. Uh, tax season. So a long-term relationship would will uncover a lot of uh, those issues. And moving together could also solve that at, at another level. That may not be for everybody, but it's, uh, I, I agree with that.
0: Relationships are all about adversity and making things work and overcoming those really, really tough struggles. When you move in together and you aren't clicking financially, at what point should you just keep pushing through and keep compromising and seeing the other person's perspective? And at what point should you call it quits? Well, you kind
1: of summed it up. So long you're seeing that compromise and that working together happening rather than people taking a stand in a position and not budging from it, you know, so long... There's that working together, that, that working through the tough times. And, and, and you see the other person making sacrifices. That's, the, I think, the key. Somebody going without when, when, when money's tight. When, you, when, when people are working together, uh, you keep pushing through and, and, and hoping it gets better. But when someone takes a stand or position and doesn't budge from it, chances are you, you, it's not going to end well.
0: At what point, though, does one partner feel deprived?
1: Well, I think if, if you're always giving and never getting, I mean, uh, I don't suggest you keep a, a checklist but, or a scorecard, but, you know, just reflect back every week, every month. Are you the one who's going without or you're the one who's giving in over and over and over again? Those are kind of the signs I'd look for.
0: No, that's that's great advice. So, Trevor, I guess I do want to ask right now the overarching question of this episode, and I'm sure the the question that listeners are really maybe here for, and that is, how do you know if a relationship with vastly different financial financial goals or maybe financial ideologies is going to tear or keep the relationship together? At, at what point do you really just have to step back and focus on that entirely, regardless if they have a great personality or similar interests and hobbies?
1: yeah I, I would say if it if it's if your relationship isn't moving forward in a positive way and, and and when i say that if you're if everything you do results in an argument or a dispute you know no matter what you're doing you're just you're butting heads around money uh, it, it it's just going to filter into every aspect of your life and from a timing standpoint like i said i think a year is a good measuring stick of of how that uh, you go through a whole life a cycle of life in one year and the ins and outs and i mean when when somebody the the best measure in a relationship for me is when you want to be around that person when they're having a very traumatic experience or they're they're um they're in a real tough spot you You want to see how that person you want to be as close to that person as possible at that time. and if if they are somebody who who tries to blame somebody for their their bad circumstances or their bad consequences, then at some point you're gonna be the person they blame. you know but if there's somebody who who's saying, you know, uh, I made a mistake or you know, boy, I don't know what I was thinking or uh, you know this I, I made a bad decision. If they're saying that and they're owning, they're they're responsible, they're owning their their actions, that's a good sign. But if they're in a bad spot and they're saying, you know, that person ripped me off or, you know, that person uh, didn't pay me or or, that person owes me money. If that's their solution to their problems, that's probably a bad sign.
0: So, Trevor, I want to zone in on you and your wife now for a minute. I know we said in past episodes that when you two met, you were more of a spender and she has always had had more of a frugal mindset so how how did you know in your mind that relationship is going to work
1: well I just want to say that when if you're you're if you're naturally a spender I I believe that's a personality trait that you can't turn off or change you you know for me I'm a natural spender I have to work at being frugal it doesn't come natural and my wife is a naturally frugal and she doesn't have to work at it but what she was able to do was show me the benefits of that you know, and the, the upside, the positive. And, I mean, if both people are frugal, I think it probably works magically. I mean, that's probably the ideal situation. But, uh, so it's something I need to work at all the time, and I do. And being with a, a, a frugal-minded person, I have that, that reference point in front of me all the time to see, you know, how am I doing? So that, that's sort of, uh, it's not something you... you um you can turn off and on. I think if you're if you're a natural spender, you just have to work at it all the time.
0: So what I'm hearing is the quality that made your and your wife's relationship work is your willingness to to be more frugal in your admiration for that characteristic in your wife. I mean, I, tell me if I'm wrong here, but it sounds like if a relationship where someone was a spender and did not see the benefits of being more frugal, that relationship wouldn't work.
1: Well, in any relationship, it's the open-mindedness that that will make it work. The the willingness to see the other person's point of view. I mean, if if you're closed minded and 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 it's your way or the highway, uh, that relationship's not going to work on all sorts of levels, right? It's it's but it's that that open-mindedness, that that willing to 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 appreciate somebody else's perspective, that 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 makes it work.
0: Absolutely, well said, Trevor. And do you think? Do you think you were attracted to your wife in the beginning because she did have a, a different outlook on money? Or, or was that a factor at all?
1: Well, she's she's an introvert. So trying to get to know her, trying to get to know any introvert is challenging. So uh, I didn't see that side of her at the beginning because as an introvert, you, you don't see much of anything of that person, right? You have to sort of pull it out of them. So it, it was not that at all.
0: And do you think overall you have... I know. And again, you have a personal finance podcast now. But do you think how to what extent have you benefited from really learning from your wife? Because I feel, I feel like maybe uh, spenders may may think that a frugal frugal person will bring them down or or crush their their extravagant lifestyle. But how much have you benefited?
1: Well, not to knock spenders, they bring balance to you know a, a spender and a frugal bring balance to a relationship. So she too has benefited from my spending ways in that. She may have deprived herself of things that, that she, she wouldn't know she enjoyed until she actually had. I'll give you an example. It took me years to convince her to get an iPhone. She was convinced she didn't need an iPhone. Now she loves that thing. So it, it, sometimes a spender can bring a positive thing to a relationship for sure.
0: That's that's a great example. It definitely balances it out. And again, like we said at the beginning, uh, introverts and extroverts, you'll see, are are in a relationship together because they really do balance each other out. So sadly, we have run out of time for this episode, so we're not going to touch on the third article. But before we do end this episode, we want to introduce to you our February monthly challenge. If you listened all the way to the end of last week's episode on spending less and conquering debt, you would have known that we promised we'd bring you up to speed on what Trevor and I have in store for you for this year. So starting in February, we'll be having our first monthly listener challenge. We'll be kicking off the 2017 year of challenges with Frugality February. So the whole month of February, we're challenging you to go a whole month without purchasing coffee or tea if you're not a coffee drinker. So we realize for some of you that that this challenge may be a piece of cake And for others who happen to be a habitual addict of coffee, this may be something that is more challenging and actually gets you to, to exert a lot of self-control. So, but rest assured Trevor and I will be with you every step of the way of Frugality February. We happen to love coffee ourselves. So this will be, this will be a challenge for us too. So the goal of the challenge is to see how much you can save by packing your coffee or tea instead of buying it. So, that's the thing. You don't have to give up coffee. You're just going to be more mindful about how you put that coffee into you. So pack up before you leave. And all that is, is just taking a few extra minutes before running into the door and you'll be surprised that the money really does add up. You don't realize, but the two, three or $5 uh, of your daily coffee really adds up over the course of the month. So on top of that challenge, we're also having a book go- giveaway for one lucky listener. We'll announce the exact date and how to enter the giveaway when we post the official challenge and giveaway guidelines on our website, livelifesimple.ca, in the week leading up to February 1st. So that will, we'll explain it too in the next episode, but you can always check out our website as soon as we launch that page next week. Well, that is it for this episode on financial compatibility. Please be sure to check out the show notes. We'll, we'll have a link to these articles at livelifesimple.ca. Make sure you give this show a rating on iTunes, leave us comments, send us an email, and let us know what you want to hear next. Until next week, keep it simple.